Good morning. Pray with me, if you will. Gracious God, thank you for this morning. Uh, Thank you for this wonderful time of worship uh, that we've had. Uh, Thank you for um, what you have accomplished uh, this morning um, in regards to just the leadership here at First Baptist. um, God, we pray that you receive the glory and honor and praise for it all. God, we know that it's all by your hands. God, that it's been entrusted to you fully. Um, and God, we just, uh, we're grateful for what you're doing here. Uh, we pray now that you would be with us as we jump into your word. God, that you would just anoint the words on these pages. And that, um, God, that we would be moved uh, by the truth of your son, um, that he is truth. God, it's in his name we pray. Amen. Well, uh, thank you, Sarah, for reading scripture, and thank you, praise team, for uh, that awesome time of worship. And uh, I want to invite you um, to join me in John uh, chapter 14, and uh, we'll spend a little bit of time here, and we're going to float around quite a bit today. Uh, So uh, keep your place in John. If we go outside of John, I'll read those for you. Um, If we're in John, we can flip open to those together because I didn't include those in my notes. So uh, you'll have some time there. It takes me a while to navigate through the scriptures sometimes. So Um, anyways, last week we began uh, our sermon series. Um, And it's really just focused on one verse of the Bible. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is Jesus' words. And in this passage, in this entire passage, before and after, we, uh, we, we, you cannot read it and come to um, other conclusions. Jesus is the Father. Jesus and the Father are one. There is complete communion and unity between the two. And to know Christ is to know the Father. We understand Jesus to be uh, the defining factor Between us and everything else, Jesus as God himself. Um, That is huge. And so why not spend three weeks um, uncovering what this means as Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. Okay. So last week, uh, Brett kicked it off. uh, And he focused on Jesus' declaration to be the way. Jesus, he says, I am the way. No one can come to the Father except through me. So uh, Pastor Brett, uh, the thrust of his message was that Jesus is the way. Because he and he alone has what we need for eternity, right? He and he alone has what we need to approach the Father. And what we need is to be made new. We need this. We cannot approach him uh, in the way that we are and anything that we can offer, right? In fact, there is no other God or Savior or spiritual teacher that has this power to make new. But it's solely an attribute of our divine Jesus, He alone makes us new. He alone can restore, forgive, uh, redeem. So he alone is the way. The way. Capital letters. The way. Because there literally are no other options for real redemption. There's just cheap imitations out there. That's Jesus. So today we come to his declaration of truth. I am the truth. Right? And all you have to do is open your eyes and look around. Truth is, it's vanishing. Right? It, it, It is diluted. Right? We live in a culture where <clears throat> truth is, is just kind of slipping away. And it doesn't mean that truth no longer exists. What it means is that people are sleeping on it. People are sleeping on truth, refusing to acknowledge it. Ralph Waldo Emerson said that God offers to every mind its choice between truth and repose. Take what you please, you cannot have both. And yet, if I had to sum up our culture, it tries to have both. Repose and truth. Here's a few lines that kind of express what I mean. Maybe you've heard this before. Truth comes from the heart. Truth is what you make it. What is true for you may not be true for me. 
Which, yeah, that applies, I guess, if you're talking about what college you're going to, but not when it comes to absolute truth of the universe, right? This is our modern definition of truth. And so what it means to, to choose repose and to call it truth means to be noncommittal, to be ignorant of truth and okay with it, to be negligent towards truth, and then we want that ignorance and negligence and noncommittal attitude to be labeled truth. That's what we want. It means to define truth based on what is easy, um, on feelings, on what's convenient for you. And we see this at a social level, don't we? Right? We've been deeply confused because every belief, every lifestyle, every sexual preference, every cause, every political view, every social agenda, everybody wants their way to be just as valid as everybody else's, just as accepted, just as promoted. And so under our current definition of tolerance, this is exactly what happens. And truth, as a result, is blurred. It's diminished. And go ahead and try to appeal to absolute truth in these matters. Because when you do, when you, de- when you dare say that one is better or one is more right or one is, one is more correct than another, then don't be surprised when you get some negative feedback. Because you'll probably get it. But even aside from our our cultural sways in these regards, on more personal levels, we're really good experts at at working our way around the truth, at mimicking our way around the truth, right? Social media is is made up of, of, of just these dream worlds where people post about everything good, right? How fit we are and how wonderful our kids are, but we leave out, you know, the pictures of the bloated stomachs at night and, and our temper tantrums at our kids that we had that day. We leave those out. So we all have this jaded view of everybody's world that world that person's world is perfect based on what they post right even our prayer requests uh, in church are often superficial they're focused on the needs of others and um, uh, you know traveling safeties and and things like that all good but when was the last time you offered a prayer request because you're dealing with a gripping sin in your life and you prayed out of it we're inclined to soften the truth in our social formats We do this in place of our insecurities. We're scared of being forthcoming about our struggles and fears. We hide uh, um, the times we literally wanted to throw our kids across the room or physically attack our coworkers. Right? We're not as open about those weak spots of our day. We do not like to be vulnerable. We want others to think that we're way better than we are. But listen, this isn't real. This is not reality. And when we're talking about truth, this is exactly what we're talking about, what's real. We're talking about reality. See, in the New Testament, there's a few words used for truth, one of which is very common. You probably say it all the time after your prayers. It's the word amen, right? Travis usually likes to throw one in there during a sermon every once in a while. You know, amen. I agree with you. That's what this word means. Uh, In fact, if you look in here, John 14, uh, verse 12, this is exactly what Jesus says. John 14, 12, he says, very truly, um, I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works that I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these because I'm going to the Father. The word that Jesus used there for very truly in its original context is amen. That's the word he uses. I agree that what I'm saying you can agree with, you can be certain of, right? And so when we say that, that's what we're saying. But there's another word used uh, to imply truth in the scriptures, and that's the word we get in verse 6 when Jesus says, I am the way and the truth in the life. And this term is not so much an expression of agreement or certainty, but it corresponds directly with reality. It corresponds directly with reality. And so when Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, what he's saying is, I'm real. 
I am what's real. I am the answers to all of your questions of reality. All of your doubts, all your confusions, I'm what's real in those places. What's the real purpose in life? What's the real hope of the human heart and soul? All of the answers to the questions of reality regarding our lives and spirituality and reason and purpose and creation, all of it. You dig deep enough and Jesus is there because he is real. He is the reality in all of those things. He's the answer. He's the truth. He's saying, I am what you need. I am, as, I am what is real. And when you realize this, life is going to be the your experience, real life, life realer than you've ever had before. That's found in Jesus Christ. So that's what we're going today, or where we're going today. And, and based on all of this, I mean, we could spend a long time talking about how if you dig deep enough uh, in any regard, whether it be philosophy or intellect or, or reason, you need to know that Jesus is going to be the end to all of those things. Uh, in fact, there's wonderful testimonies, people like C.S. Lewis, Lee Strobel, who, who, who tried with all their might to disprove Jesus and instead found themselves humbly at his feet in loving obedience and submission because they experienced the real Jesus. But we're not going to focus as much on that today because for our purposes today, um, we are going to focus on what Jesus as our truth means in our lives. What does this mean in our lives spiritually, physically, what does it mean that Jesus is our truth? And to do this, we're going to simply think of places of life that people have given over to things that aren't real. Things that aren't Jesus, not reality, not everlasting. We're going to trek through the scriptures a bit uh, and acknowledge six needs for reality. Six things that are lifeless, they are fake, they are a temporary dream world until Jesus comes in and reveals reality. So follow along with me. Um, we'll, 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 we'll try to pace uh, slow enough, I guess, so we can all just kind of keep up. Uh, but that's where we're going today. Six things that, may, that Jesus makes real. Jesus makes real. And the first one comes from John chapter 1, if you want to flip open uh, to there with me. Some of you are probably like, John chapter 1 again? Haven't we been here like almost every week for the past two months? We've been there a lot. But we're going to go there again because only in Christ is there true and real enlightenment. We're going to see that here in John chapter 1. Only in Christ is there true and real enlightenment. Excuse me. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This is verse 1. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning the light, so that through him all might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. And it says later down that, uh, that the word, this word that it's talking about, this true light, it becomes flesh. Right? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. Right? And, and we use the word enlightenment for a specific purpose. But what we're talking about is, is the way God reveals truth to, to humankind. Revealed truth. How does he put truth on display for us? And he does it through his son. That's, that's Jesus, right? Jesus is, is truth. And that's how he revealed it to us is through Jesus Christ. But I like the word enlightenment because if you go back to the 17th, 18th century, you had the enlightenment, 
right? Um, the age of reason. And what happened during this is it was a period of thought and culture and intellect and, and science and philosophy and politics and religion and all that stuff. And people were seeking truth in it. And so all of it came under the microscope. It was all questioned. It was all formatted, right? And much good came from this, but at the same time, people relied solely almost on, on, just, on just the human mind to comprehend truths of things that they just they didn't know. There was one author who put it this way, that during this time, people became so taken by the uniqueness of the human mind that they began to treat it as a god rather than use it to worship the true god. Right? And so what happened is um, as they tried to find the answers to the universe, they accidentally started worshiping themselves. Right? And this still happens, right? But Jesus is truth. You're, it does not come from the human mind. Uh, it is not uh, revealed from human to human. It is revealed from God to us, and he can use whatever he needs to reveal it. We cannot conjure truth on our own accord. So enlightenment, revelation, we, didn't need, we need to know that this is something that we did not create. Jesus is the source of this, right? This is why it's called revelation. Truth is revealed to us, not by us. And it is revealed by the only credible and true source of truth, Jesus Christ. If you think back, God has used quite a few things to reveal truth to us. If you think the Old Testament, you just think the prophets. You think dreams and visions and burning bushes and angelic appearances and even speaking through a donkey at a point. Different things like that. And then you jump forward to Hebrews 1, another passage we've referred to quite a bit. And in Hebrews 1 it says that in the past God spoke through all of those things. He spoke through all of that. The prophets and, and other ways and other revelations. He spoke through all of that. And in these last days he speaks through his son. He speaks through his son. What does this mean? First of all, it means his word. We've built this case quite a few times in, in recent days, so we're going to do it uh, just gently here this morning, but it means his word. John 17, verse 17, Jesus is praying to God, and he says to God, your word is truth. Many other times in the Psalms, uh, it refers to the word of God as just perfect, flawless, blameless, right, true. Right, this is the word of God, and then you come to John 1, and this perfect, blameless, right, true, wonderful word of God becomes flesh, the true light to all mankind. This is Jesus, right? He is the, uh, the physical appearance of the word of God, right? And we get this in the scriptures. If you recall back to, um, uh, I guess, a few sermons ago in the John series before Kor, this is exactly what we talked about, how Jesus is the word, in 2 Timothy uh, chapter 3, verse 16, it says that all scripture is God-breathed. All, all of this that you have before you was breathed out by God himself. He used the authors to do it. In 2 Peter 1.21, it talks about the authors, the prophets and the apostles. And they wrote as God spoke and as they were carried by the Spirit of God. That's what it says. So the scriptures that you have in your hands was written by God for you. Right? And, and this is our relationship with Jesus. This is how we have a relationship with Jesus. It's revealed truth to us. doesn't just mean his word, though. It also means his church. In Ephesians 1, it talks about how the church is the body uh, of Christ who fills everything in every way. You can't separate them. If you want to have a relationship with Jesus, then you will be in church. You will be in submission to God's people. You will be in Christian community. Right? Um, th this, is, this is true. 1 Timothy 3, 14 and 15, the church is referred to as the pillar and foundation of truth. 
right? So let me say this. Anyone who claims revealed truth but does not live in submission and obedience and accountability to the word of God or to the church of God, you need to run. It's not true. Bare minimum, test it against the scriptures. Take it with a grain of salt and test it against the scriptures. Because if that person is not living in obedience to what God says is truth through his son, you need to beware. You need to beware, okay? Only in Christ is there true and real enlightenment. True and real revelation. Only through him is real truth. Okay? Only in Christ is there true and real purpose. That's our next one. Only in Christ is there true and real purpose. He makes your purpose real. Colossians 1, uh, verse 15. I'll read here a little bit. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible, invisible, thrones, powers, rulers, authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So in case you missed it, we were created for him. Everything was created by him, for him, through him. We were created for him. This is the essence of who we are. Revelations 4, Isaiah 43, all say that we were created to worship God. To serve him. All you got to do is look at the creation story and look at how Adam and Eve were created to work for God, to worship God. This is who we are. We were created uh, to worship God, to serve God. This is our purpose. Okay, so if you're here and you do not have Christ, please don't, please don't mistake me. I, I'm not saying that you're a purposeless soul out there. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that you are not living to your full potential and how God has made you. I believe God has great intentionality as he created all of us. But if we live absent of him, we're undercutting our design because we're created by him. Only in him do you know your full purpose. You can live your whole life with good intentions, good purposes, right? Taking care of your family and, and making a good living and, and being a good moral citizen, right? Giving to those in need. All of these things are good. But if your entire purpose is found on any one of these things, then your purpose is misplaced and it will have an end. So when we talk about truth, what we're talking about is the now and forever. Truth extends forever. A great test of truth will be at the grave. Truth continues. Everything else stops. It's buried with you. Right? And so according to the scriptures, we've been created to serve our creator, to acknowledge him in our lives. This is our purpose, and it, it, it is the order on which we build everything else on. We find our purpose in Christ, and then there becomes purpose in our jobs, in our families, our lifestyles, in our decisions. It's got to happen in that order. Outside of that order, um, it, it, it's not the way that you have been designed, and you're going to feel empty. You're going to feel void. Right. This applies to point of enlightenment as well and the other points that we're going to make mention of. So just remember this. Truth begins a work in us now. And that work lasts forever. Beyond, beyond this life, all other forms of enlightenment and purpose and meaning and everything else, even if they look good on the outside, they're going to end at the grave if Christ is not the truth of you. It stops there. Only in Christ is there true and real purpose. Next one, John chapter 4. John chapter 4, verse 19. Excuse me. Christ makes your worship real. 
Only in Christ is your worship real. Is it true? John chapter 14, Jesus is talking to a woman, and they're on the topic of worship. And you know, she says in verse 19, she says, Sir, I can see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father and the Spirit and the truth. For they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and the truth. Now this passage is pretty full, and I think we spent a few weeks on it when we were in our John series. But the woman had some concerns about just kind of the, uh, the location of worship. And Jesus responds that true worship, first of all, happens in the Spirit of God, and it happens in truth, which the Spirit gives witness of. Right? So in order to kind of build this case, let's identify a few ways um, that, that people worship that aren't real. If Jesus is the truth, here are a few ways people worship that aren't true. They're not centered upon Christ's truth. And the first is obvious. It's just misplaced worship. Misplaced worship. Any worship upon anything other than Jesus. This includes worshiping a Jesus less God or just worshiping any person less than Jesus. Any other religious form of worship that does not uh, acknowledge Jesus' truth as God himself as Savior. This also includes the worship of anything less than Jesus. We all worship something, am I right? We were built for this. It's part of our creation. Do you know that Taylor Swift can't uh, have a concert and her tickets not sell out within like the first few minutes? People worship. It's what we do. We're inclined to do it. I'm not saying it's bad to be fans of, of, of different things. But whenever it steps up the ladder and Jesus comes down the ladder, you're, you're messing with idolatry. You're messing with misplaced worship. Cubs, know mis- Cubs fans know misplaced worship better than anybody right now. Right, Brett? It's a struggle, right? Um, you, you go to sports teams, you go to political leaders, you go to bands, you go to um, all of these other things that people worship. It's misplaced. I had a conversation with a young guy one time, and um, I don't remember the context in which we were talking, but I said something sarcastic, and then he said something kind of mocking at me um, in regards to my faith. And he said, Axl Rose is God. Just kind of, I don't know, just trying to tell me to, I don't know, back off or something. But he said, Axl Rose is God. And so I was like, all right, but you know what? This, this is real. This young man um, um, is deeply, deeply, deeply influenced by Axl Rose. Right? Guns N' Roses, you Guns N' Roses fans out there? Right? Um, not the best thing to, to base your life around. But for him, him and this guy, him and Axel, you know, they have the same past. And so what Axel says is what this young man does. And apart from Christ, I get it. We all find our influence from something. Right? That's a good test of worship, by the way. What has most influence in your life? What voices trump God's voice in your life? If there is anything there, it's misplaced. Probably idolatry. And our biggest struggle with this is probably self-worship, right? We gratify our desires. We live for us. We refuse to acknowledge Jesus in places of our lives sometimes. This is self-worship. It's misplaced. It's misplaced. So you have misplaced worship and you have absent-minded worship, absent-hearted worship, right? This is coming here and being so distracted that there's not a drummer this morning that you just couldn't worship. 
I don't know why you, that would be the case anyway. The drummer's not that good. I know him personally, okay? He's not that great. Worship was wonderful this morning. It was wonderful. It's coming here and worshiping based on who's playing or what kind of music it is. This is absent-minded. It's singing about Jesus but not thinking about Jesus, right? Service is a form of worship, by the way, serving God. And so when you serve and you have a bad attitude and there's bitterness underneath, you know, you'll do it but you're not happy about it. This is absent worship as well. Right? These are unreal forms of worship. They're not true, and we must press against them. Jesus is truth. Jesus is real. What he did on the cross for you was real. The salvation he offers you is real. Worship him like it. Worship him like it. Worship centered on Christ is the only real form of worship. And Christian or not, we struggle with this. All other forms of worship will not last. A few more here. Okay, Jesus uh, makes your worship real, but only in Jesus Christ is there real life change. Is there true life change? Okay, I'll, I'll reference these for you. In John 17, 17, Jesus praying to God says, sanctify them by your truth. And he's talking about his disciples and their struggle with the world and how the world's not going to accept them. And, but they're going to still have to live in here. And so as you struggle in the world, truth sanctifies Right? This is one of the graces of the Christian walk is that you can live in this broken world. Jesus said in this world you're going to have trouble. Right, It's a promise. You're, this world's going to just really stink for you sometimes. But one of the graces of the Christian walk is that those struggles can turn into forms of worship to God. God redeems these things. And what happens is when you go into that struggle with your trust and your hope upon Jesus Christ is you're going to look like this now and you're going to look like him you're going to look more like him whenever he brings you out of that. That's sanctification. It's growing to, to, to look more like Jesus. It's spiritual growth. This is real life change. I'll take the word of a, uh, of a mother who is stuck in her home, probably feels cooped up all the time, but she presses into the word and she presses into the Lord. I'll take her word over the most cultured, smart, business a professional man ever if, if the topic is on Jesus because she knows more than him. Right? That's truth. That's life change. I will take her word for more than, than the other. Right? We, we think that growth happens just by knowledge, how cultured you are, how, how much you've traveled, how much of the world you've seen. Right? If you're above 50, then you're automatically wiser than everybody else around you. How much education you've had or, or business success you've had. These are all good, by the way. It's not bad. It's, it, you know, when it comes to just human experience, this is good. But as we've said, they end at the grave apart from Christ. They end at the grave. But in Christ, we're offered a new place of growth. We're offered a, a form of life change that transforms us more and more into the likeness of Jesus Christ. And this work does not stop at the grave. In fact, at the grave, we're going to know truth. We're going to know it at this level. It's going to be fulfilled and experienced and enjoyed completely. It's going to continue forever. It's a work of truth in our hearts and lives that can only come from Jesus. I encourage you not to put too much stock on the things that the world tells you is the measure of a true growth in a person. Apart from Christ, it's just stuff. But... If you have the opportunity to grow in these ways with Jesus as your truth and your purpose found upon Jesus, then you need to jump all in. 
These are good opportunities, good avenues for the gospel to spread his name. But don't do it apart from Christ. It doesn't mean a whole lot. Only in Jesus is there true and real life change. Just a few more. I know it's getting warm in here, so, so track along with me. Only in Christ is there true and real freedom. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8, verse 31. To the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. The truth will set you free. Um, Kenzie and I, we were sitting down one day this week. It was kind of a rough week. I've been sick for a lot of it, as you can tell. It's still kind of pouring out of my face. Um, and, and Kenzie, we just, we just had kind of a rough week with some things, uh, just a, some sensitive things with our, with our foster stuff. And Nothing crazy, but we, we, you know, don't attack me thinking that something bad happened or anything. It was just disheartening, and so we just kind of had a rough day. And so Kenzie and I were both just kind of sitting and just kind of exhausted, and, and she just kind of looked at me, and, and she said, you know, I, I kind of get why people drink. She doesn't have a problem with this, by the way. She's never drinking anything, so don't, also don't email me or talk to me about that. But she understood, right? And, and I do too, and we know people carry a lot, much more than much more than we do. But there's devices out there that are guaranteed to take your mind off of it. Do you know that? There's devices out there that are guaranteed to get your mind off the junk, to get your mind off the worries. And apart from Christ, I understand. I understand people need freedom. Jesus assured us this life was going to be hard. You know, if you're in Christ, it's wonderful because when we suffer, we have hope. When we doubt, we can be still assured in him. When we struggle, we have an anchor and a foundation that keeps us level. We don't have to, ma- we don't have to rapture our minds away with the devices people run to because his love has already raptured our minds. We trust in him. We don't have to escape our problems. Rather, he gives us what we need to cope, to endure, to bear. And then he turns that place of struggle into something that honors him and worships him and causes you to live deeper for him. People find freedom in devices of drugs and alcohol. They find it by easily giving themselves over to others in relationships and sex because they covet the feelings of trust and value and appreciation. They find freedom by by hiding away in their work and in their hobbies. They find freedom in hurting themselves. They find freedom in the constant appeal for sympathy by embracing the victim mentality. They find their freedom in how many likes and comments they get online. And I'm telling you, it's all temporary. It's fake. It's fake. The only real part about it is the yearning. Right? Yearning and longing for something real. And if you feel this, if you're in this place at any level, you need to know that you are yearning for Jesus. That is the truth of of your walk. You are yearning for Jesus. You are feeling your need for him. And you need to sprint to him today. You need to sprint to him today. If this is you, I'm guaranteed this is the reason you're here this morning. To sprint to him today. Only in Christ is there true freedom. Only in Christ can you bear these things in him. Come out sanctified on the other side. We come to our last one. Praise God, right? I'm kind of thinking that. I'm tired of sniffing up here. Second Thessalonians. <laughs> I never get it right the first time, okay? 
2 Thessalonians chapter 2. I'll read it for you. But we ought always to thank God for you, brothers and sisters, loved by the Lord, because God chose you as firstfruits to be saved through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and through belief in the truth. He called you to this through our gospel, that you might share in the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, there was a national survey done in 2008, um, and it found that 70% or so of the Americans that claim Christianity, that 52% of them believe that non-Christians, uh, non-Christian faith still lead to eternal life. Pretty astounding. And even a high number of them are evangelical believers who believe that non-Christian faiths lead to salvation, lead to the Father, lead to eternal life. Um, I would say even in a room this size, there are likely some who have embraced Christianity, um, at least at the the church-going and Christian music and family-friendliness level, right? You like the excitement of of it, but if we were to cut you deep, we would find that you're probably still not too sold out on this Jesus guy. That maybe your church attendance and affiliation just meets some check boxes for you as you try to turn over uh, a new leaf and be a better person, a more religious person. But you still have a deluded version of Jesus in your head and you've not received Jesus' truth in your heart. The point of this message was not to be stuck up and say we're right, you're wrong. That's not the point of this, right? If we, if we found a cure for cancer, how awful would it be for us to hold it up and tell how people how much better we are than them because we have the cure? No, rather, if we had the cure for cancer, we would want people to know. We would tell them to quit spending their money and their time and their energy and things that won't cure them. We would want them to have the cure that we found, Right? This isn't being stuck up. If you're here and you're in Christ, you've been contaminated by the disease called sin that we all have been contaminated by, but you've found a cure. You've found the cure. We're not trying to hoard it or hide it. We want people to know it, to have a relationship with it, because we know the hope that's offered in it. Hebrews 6.19 says that we have a hope as an anchor for our souls, firm and secure. This is the hope of Jesus. Man, I was so encouraged this week. By the way, Friday was a crazy day. Many of you know this. If you had a student at Terre Haute North or just a student period, this was a scary day. All of the the threats going on, all that kind of stuff. And I was so encouraged to, uh, to have these text conversations with some of the parents who were just like, man, it was just a long day of prayer. Praise God for how it turned out. I mean, they're just... They were firm. They were secure in Christ, knowing full well that their, their, their kids were in potential danger. This is the hope of Christ. And dare I say it, even if that situation turned out worst case scenario, down the road they'd have still been standing in Christ. That's the hope of Christ. That's the hope of Christ. It's everlasting. We no longer need to hope in being uh, good enough because we can't be. Sin is like a cancer. You can't behave your way out of it. You can't religion your way out of it. The only answer is to receive the cure of Jesus Christ. His blood shed on the cross for you in love and forgiveness so that all who receive of it will be saved. The hope of salvation, it's a free gift for those who believe and receive it. Make note of that, by the way. The Bible says that even demons believe. They shudder at the name. In John chapter 8, we just read that passage, um, and and people believed in Jesus, and at the end of the chapter, they're ready to kill him, right? Uh, Palm Sunday, 
It's our day today, and I've always been conflicted about it because I think it's one of the fakest days in human history where people welcome Jesus with open arms, and so we celebrate, but they killed him three days later. It's fake. It's not real. It's not true. Right? We, 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 we cannot um, um, just believe at the level that gets us into it uh, to where it just satisfi- satisfies us. We need to receive it at some point. You can't just be excited about it. That's not good enough. Believe and receive it. Let it come into your life. Be transformed by it. Give into it in submission. Let it be the authority of your life. Find your purpose in Christ. Receive it. John 1 says that when you believe and you receive, he gives you the right to become children of God. It's free to those who receive. I'll close with this story. Um, there's a man, uh, Dr. Lutzer, uh, a wonderful man. He tells this awesome story of a, of a missionary and a Hindu man. Uh, this missionary went on a journey and he started this relationship with this Hindu man. And he said... Uh, that he tried over and over and over again to convince this man uh, that he didn't need to work for the gift of salvation. And in his mind, you know, the Hindu man was just baffled by this completely because all he's ever known is that he needed to work for a higher place in life, a higher place spiritually. That's all he's ever known is you work your way out of the grime and into the better life. And so years went by and this missionary tried to convince him of this truth over and over again and even when it came up to the missionary's time to leave the Hindu had still not received still didn't get it but during that time they had built this relationship they were really close friends and so it came time for the missionary to leave and the missionary uh, and the Hindu were just they were parting ways and uh, they were having a moment and uh, the Hindu man said I want I want to give you a gift and so he pulled out of his pocket and he gave him a case. And in this case was a pearl, a beautiful pearl, um, just perfect. Um, and, and the Hindu man said, I, I give you this gift, but uh, you need to know this gift is really, it's really priceless because my son lost his life um, um, getting this pearl. My son lost his life getting this pearl. So the missionary thought for a second, took advantage of the opportunity. He said, well, let, let me buy it from you. Let me pay you. Let me, give, let me give you something for this. And the man just said, you know, my, my son lost his life for this. How could you possibly pay for something so priceless? And it was in that moment that the Hindu began to understand what it means to receive a free gift of salvation. Because there's nothing that you can conjure, nothing you can do nothing in all of creation that you could give to God that would be worth the price of the death of Jesus Christ for your salvation. There is nothing you can do. There is nothing you have to offer. Nothing you can do to pay for access to the Father. The gift, the price that was paid is just too priceless. Are you tired of living a fake life? Are you tired of working and working and working and working, hoping that one day it pays off spiritually? Are you exhausted from living just outside of who you were called to be in Christ? It's time to receive the gift of hope in Jesus. Your life will be more real than it ever has been before because he alone is true.